0: This. I left like the city
1: I've been browsing Treading water that they drown My head on a swivel Yeah It's only really my surroundings
2: Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Smash Accept podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore DadFF. Happy Cinco de Mayo to everybody. Um, John, it feels good to be back in the host seat. You know, after getting roasted last week for my 40th birthday where we had all those analysts on there. If you guys haven't listened to it, go back. You know, you get to get some cheap shots in it at Dad there. I think my favorite one was they called me the Frank Gore of fantasy because I'm getting old there. Um, You know, there was some just great moments there. And you mocking me in the beginning of my intro really led me to almost question
1: my intro here this morning. Uh, so, John, how you doing tonight? Oh, loving life! Can't wait for this show here tonight, Cinco de Mayo, and yeah, just uh, ready to mix it up here. I just published my post draft rookie rankings today, so you can go take a look at that. And I think, look, Mike, I think it was pretty clear I was the better host, but. You know, I'm, I'm fine to give it back up for tonight. We'll see how you do.
2: You guys absolutely nailed it. You know, my kids listened to it and they were rolling. Like it was the only episode where they've literally listened to the whole thing. Good they, times. Wanted to, they wanted to hear other people other than them making fun of dad, you know, and uh, some of the best jokes on there, I think were definitely Mung's, you know, that the uh, the girls were happy that I was on the podcast because they could get to their five pound dumbbells. That was, that was one of my favorite ones. Mung, how's it going tonight? And what do you have going on?
0: It's good. Good. Uh, I just got back from vacation. So this is my first day back getting back into the swing of things and nothing better than doing a podcast with all you guys. And uh, just drop my rookie rankings as well. You can find those over at Fantrax, of course. And I'm super proud of both of you guys. You know, you usually only give up who the, the
2: guest is during your intro every single time. But we wanted to have a special intro, you know, for our guests tonight. Uh, Matt Wallman is quite simply the best at what he does. You know, he's been producing the rookie scouting portfolio for the last 16 years. So good at what he does and just legendary grinding film and just educating you guys in the RSP and how to watch how to watch players on film. Um, he basically in, in the end, he serves over a thousand pages of content. Every single one of them, fantastic. Ranks the class, including the previous two classes. He then produces a post draft RSP with those final rankings. The RSP, in our mind, is an absolute smash accept type purchase. You guys got to go out that. And, you know, we mixed in the two pods. Welcome to the show, Matt. We're all big fans and just happy to have you on tonight.
3: Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, and I appreciate such a nice in, uh, intro, you know, um, and that that 50 bucks went a long way, I guess, you know, so <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And I got to say, you have like the greatest
2: voice, you know, we, we've been talking about this for a while. Mung wanted to do an entire episode of his article where we were going to have uh, Morgan Freeman come on, but we might have you special guests read one of Mung's articles, you know, it'll be like uh, side notes with Mung
3: there we go. I might need the payment soon. So there we go. I could do that as a sideline if all things fall through. So I like
2: that. I love it. So we all find ourselves in rookie drafts, especially, you know, some of us that are real, I don't want to say degenerates, but that's what we are. We try to draft. I've I'm in three drafts. As soon as the the draft ended, I was in them and I I'm finding myself rounds or picks one through 12 seem to be going pretty cut and dry. And then that second round and third round seems to be all over the place. And we wanted to have you on because you dig deeper and into the film better than anybody we know. And we're trying to, and our guests are asking, yo, who do I take at this pick? I got the 202, I got the 203, I got the 208. What do I do in that range? Because last year, I think, spoiled us. You know, last year we were getting absolute studs in the second round. We were getting T. Higgins, we were getting, you know, Antonio Gibson late second. And everybody feels like, Okay, it's 2021. I should say be able to get those same guys. But I'm finding a lot of lot of trades going on in that second round. So we really wanted to, you know, see how you thought this class stacked up to the last two years before we even start digging into things.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that what you find interesting here is that depending on the type of format that you're using, you're gonna be able to get some quarterbacks in that second round range who are guys that I think are worth the investment this year. I mean, maybe not immediate. Play for you, but for the next five to seven years, at least they should give you high caliber, you know, starter caliber play, maybe even elite caliber play. At least three to four of them have that potential, I think. Um, and then there's five that I think that can give you at least, at the very worst, you wound up with a quarterback too, you know. So um, and, and and you can use them as a matchup play. And then I think that there's some running backs that are worth considering, uh, at least a couple. I mean, certainly there's guys like you know, Trey Sermon who might fall in some leagues. Um, but then there's, you know, who I really like at around in the early second round in 12 team leagues is Michael Carter. I think that Michael Carter is a is a guy that is probably the best running back on that team in, in New York. Now, whether that offensive line is going to be good enough to support him, that's a different question, but he's someone that we can talk about a little bit more, um, you know, then in addition to that with the wide receivers, I mean, Terrace Marshall, it may seem like a crowded room, um, when you have Robbie Anderson and, and DJ Moore, but Robbie Anderson's leaving next year and they, they really don't have anybody else after Moore in that standpoint. And I love what Marshall can bring because he can play a couple positions as well. So the fact that you have a good running game and, you know, it seems like Carolina's is in a position that if it's, it's darn over back to the basics again. And if this team gets stronger, um it might even have some free agent appeal for a quarterback down the line. So that's not bad. You know, guys like Elijah Moore, Kadarius Toney, they're not bad in this range. An ultra safe pick in the late second round is probably Amon Rossane Brown, who he's going to be one of the only shows in Detroit, and he's a guy that reminds people ranging from Sterling Shepard to Robert Woods, and certainly we know what Jared Goff was able to do with a Robert Woods-like player, and I think that the Lions will probably use a some have some similarity of... Um, you know, concepts that they'll use, that they use with golf, that they'll probably, you know, use the same things with a guy like St. Brown. And then, of course, you know, if you need a tight end, Pat Friermuth is not a bad consolation prize, especially going to Pittsburgh, because we know that while Ben Roethlisberger has been up and down with using its tight end, when you have a guy as good as Friermuth and the fact that he can block, he's going to keep him on the field a good bit. I like all those picks and, and, you know, those are players that I think stand out the most and, and, you know, and then there's some guys that I wouldn't even mind reaching for a little bit, maybe down the line, you know, when it comes to, you know, the second and third round, I mean, Seth Williams is not a player that I absolutely am am in love with because I think he's a, um. He has some consistency issues with how he plays, but his bright moments are as bright as any of the wide receivers in this class. His down moments make you wonder if he's going to stay on a team. Um, but let's just say I like his fit in Denver. Cortland Sutton's up for a contract. Deshaun Hamilton will be done next year. He won't be back with that team. Most likely Jerry Judy's going to find a stride. And I think the Broncos are kind of figuring out that they don't have a quarterback. If they brought Teddy Bridgewater that means that's a bridge for another time, whether that's a rookie or a free agent or a trade or something along those lines. Don't be surprised if Seth Williams finds himself in a really prime position that's worth um, feeling pretty good about his investment.
2: I feel like in a lot of the drafts that I've been involved in, people are getting a little, you know, nearsighted, and I feel like we've been we've been spoiled in the last couple of years of guys getting immediate roles and and not being able to, you know, there was a time where early on in Dynasty, you know, like we were th- talking about, let's let this guy, you know, sit there for a year or two on my taxi squad or, or be a guy that we could be patient with. And I feel like the new age Dynasty owner wants that immediate production. And I feel like maybe you're right in that second round, we can start getting some values here, but you just got to, you got to look a little bit deeper. Um, John and Munger, you guys are in a lot of drafts as well. Um, well, How are you feeling about that that range there? You know, I, I know we've been talking about it in our Smash Accept crew, that one through 12 in Superflex seems pretty cut and dry. You know, there's not a lot of moving in there, but that second round is where, you know, we make or break things.
1: Yeah. You know, I've, I've been in a few rookie drafts already and I, I really do still see the value. I think I just jumped out of my chair when I was able to get Jalen Waddle at the 202 in a draft. Loved Waddle. And I think we can get Matt's thoughts on on that one as well here in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, some of the, the folks that Matt was rattling off there, all really good values. So, you know, quarterback, wide receiver depth in particular, if you can get those guys in the second round, I really like that. That is a good option for your dynasty team.
0: Yeah, and something, I know we have a lot of questions uh, uh, lined up for Matt tonight, but something that just came to mind as I'm in the middle of a draft is I'm struggling with how to evaluate guys like Dwayne Eskridge or Kadarius Toney who, changed positions in college because to me you know you can I'm not a film expert like Matt but when you watch guys like that how much are you accounting for the potential ceiling of you know how they could develop because they haven't really you know found their groove in these new positions It's a great question and
3: I think that what we have to understand is that in the college game even at the top division one schools a lot of these receivers are athletes who are learning how to play receiver, even the ones that people rate very highly? Um, and when you look at a guy like Kadarius Tony and Dwayne Eskridge, especially Tony, what you see is that he doesn't face a lot of press coverage. You're going to see my buddy Matt Harmon over at Yahoo and at uh, Reception Perception talk about how Tony has a very low rate being able to get off press. But he's a slot receiver. Usually, don't see a lot of press coverage in that regard. He's going to be used as a slot receiver. So, that's not as big of a deal. And in addition to that, you see that the most important part about recovering or being able to beat press coverage is your foot, your feet, footwork, excuse me, and how good your footwork is. Do you have a level of different skills and, um, strategies to, to get off the line with your feet, because you got to beat the defender with your feet first so that then they shoot their arms. That's how the that's how it works, is use your feet first, get the defender to shoot his arms, and then you counter with your arms to get past them. And Kadarius Toney's footwork is excellent. It's some of the best footwork I've seen of any of the receivers in this class. And it's not that he makes things up. Most receiver footwork, if you study it closely, there's, you know almost a dozen different types of footwork moves that receivers are taught and you learn how to use them based on where the defender is what what position you're trying to release towards inside or outside what kind of route you're running you know all those whether they're going to try and press you um you know whether it's tight man or off man or zone all those different things and tony shows really great footwork there so i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty enthused about his opportunity to become a good player for the Giants, one, because he's going to be playing in the slot. He's a bigger play slot option than Sterling Shepard, so he's going to have a lot of two-way goes, which means that he doesn't have a, he's going to, he the defender doesn't have the sideline to use as an additional defender against him. He can't get pinned to the boundary as easily because he's going to be in the middle of the field, so that forces the defender to have to react more to the moves that a player makes early on. So, And Tony's work in the middle, you know, after the catch is spectacular. So while there's some things he's got to work on where in terms of he's not always a balanced runner, he's going to have some issues where he he overextends his legs past his frame. And that hurts him when he's trying to make changes of direction, which include, you know, making people miss and then also running routes in terms of his breaks. Um, So that's, but, you know, Daniel Jones is going to need to check the ball down a fair bit at times, and he's got to get better at that, Um, but at the same time, he needs someone who's reliable to do that with, and Tony's that guy in the middle of the field, and they're going to do design plays with him too, so that's going to be nice, Um, and then with, you know, a guy like Eskridge, the thing that's awesome about Eskridge is certain skills translate when you play from a You know, played cornerback and you come back and play wide receiver. And one of the things that really impressed me about Eskridge is how he uses his hands. He both as a blocker and a guy who faces press coverage. He knows he's demonstrated repeatedly the ability to brush away the opposing defender's hands. He uses great timing and great location with his hands to do that. So as a blocker, when he begins to engage, one of the first things that he often does is he knocks the defender's hands down and then gets into his body, and he's great at that. And that's going to help him as a receiver because he's already quick-footed, and he shows that already, but he's only going to get better. And the fact that he can use his hands so well will help him with the counter game once he develops the footwork. So I'm excited about both of those players. I think they're both good second-round options. Um and and players that are from what I'm seeing in the twelve to fifteen mock drafts that I've tracked for the RSP post-draft, they're all kind of going within their value as top 24 picks. That's excellent. You know, Matt, I, I'm actually been a
1: big RSP guy for the past few years. In fact, when I first experienced your RSP, I actually went back and got previous years as well. And a big part of that is because you help me understand how to watch these players what to look for. And so I was going to see if you you don't mind unpacking that a little bit for the listeners here, help educate on how to watch film. And maybe you could touch on not only what matters most, but also what doesn't matter as much. Like I, I know you were talking about how everyone loves jump cuts. Everyone loves that breakaway speed and the big plays, but that for a running back may not be as important as efficiency in space, field vision and things like that. So, Maybe you could kind of help the listeners uh, just a, maybe a brief education on some of the things that you look for at these positions.
3: Sure. If you want more, because obviously I'm going to be a better writer than I am a speaker on this type of stuff uh, in in this compressed period of time, you can go to um, my, my website and there is an article about trying to remember what i've actually called it but i think it's called losing your football innocence it's got a big cherry on the cover of it you know (laughs) photo of the cherry so you know it's the first article i ever wrote on my site so it's it's but i i post it pretty regularly and it talks Mm -hmm. about how to watch how i learned to watch football in many ways and things that i i think are helpful to people but one of the first things that i would say is that if you're gonna watch if you're doing it as like a casual fan like and you know you're not going to have tons of time, because doing what I do takes a lot of time. A good story that Russ Landy, who's my co-host on my podcast, Scout Talk podcast, who's a, um, you know, the head of U.S. scouting for the Montreal Alouettes, and is a former Browns and Rams scout, he would tell you he's had people ask to watch football with him, and they are really into the idea of scouting, and it took all of, like, a morning for them to realize that They didn't want to do this. You know, most people don't want to watch a football game with me because I treat it like it's work as opposed to fun. So as a result of that, that's the first thing is that if you really want to get into it, you're going to spend a lot of time and I'd just devote it to one position at a time for maybe a month or two and look at maybe one player as deep and as much depth as you can. But for the positions, for quarterback, the most important thing really for me is the really the eyes, arm, and feet connection in turn and how that works is how quickly they process information their the length of their drop dictates really how how they're reading the field so you're going to want to go back and look at the route progressions of the receivers and look at how fast the drop was because if the drop is a 3 step a 2 step 3 step 5 step or 7 step it tells you a lot about the intention of the depth of the play that they want to try and execute and then also looking at who he's reading and how his feet sync up with that. Can he alter his drop steps to to come to a quick stop to throw the ball if he sees an obviously open play? Can he move his feet and move from side to side so that he can make a quick setup from looking from one side of the field to the other so that he can throw an accurate ball? His footwork is going to be the basis for his accuracy. And footwork, I would say to people, is that you don't want to just look at Tom Brady's footwork and say, well, that's – the way it should be done. Um there's different ways to do it as long as it's as long as the quarterback is delivering the ball accurately and they can do it on a repeatable basis the way that their feet are then I wouldn't go overboard about that. I mean there's going to be details about that that we can get into the weeds about, but that's a basic thing. The other thing is is how to from the time that they spot an open receiver to the time they let the ball go are they taking etch, extra hitches? Are they padding their feet a little bit longer? Because are usually that's a sign that they're waiting to see if the play is really going to break open rather than trusting what they see. And what they're looking at is the leverage of the defender on the receiver. And you want to start to learn, and Dub Maddox is a guy, D-U-B-M-A-D-D-O-X, who has a lot of books out. He's a high school coach who probably could be a college hedge coach from what I hear from people I know that, um if he he's not been hired because college coaches are high, fr- afraid he's going to succeed them fairly quickly um but he's a uh, he writes these great books on how to you know how to read defensive leverage um and you see that the top quarterbacks maybe they don't whiteboard the you know great and they don't have all the concepts down in terms of you know reading things that fast but what they do understand is that when they're looking down the field They can spot the leverage and immediately let the ball go when it's favorable and that means they throw with anticipation and they know where to place the ball and that's more important because you can be as smart as a whip and have all this great book smarts and retention but sometimes that gets in your own way that kind brand of intelligence because you may not have the emotional intelligence to not second guess yourself and be confident enough to just perform because performance intelligence is different than theory intelligence. Right. right. And that's, you know, and I don't have the, you know, obviously I'm not giving you the academic understanding of what those terms are called, but you get the idea. So that's important when it comes to quarterbacking is understanding if they can get, let go of the ball at the right time and with the right placement. And you'll see that based on their feet and their eyes and whether they can deliver from a balance standpoint. So all of that works together. Running back, it's very similar. It's the eyes-feet combination because what you want is efficient movement, as you noted, Mm -hmm. John, and it's like the ability that you want a back who's going to create the most amount of space while taking the least amount of space to make that happen. So you know, a guy like Kenyon Drake to begin his career was an example of a player who took the most amount of space needed to create space. And a lot of backs do that because they see something and then they react and they make these huge stops. Like it's a big jump stop that takes two to three yards for them to cover. And then they have to like make a cut again. Now the guy who does that at a level that could live and die by that is Adrian Peterson. But there's only one Adrian Peterson. And so you have to really understand that the best backs, like you mentioned, Frank Gore. When you were making fun of Dynasty Dad over here, is that you yep. know the that Frank Gore is the great example of efficient cutting. That it shows that if you're efficient and you can see how the blocks develop and learn the difference between gap schemes and zone schemes, and you can go to my site. There's a site called There's a um, article called Race Car, and it's written by Chad Span, who's a former NFL running back, um, and you know, and I would call him a friend, and he's someone who who outlines the difference between zone and gap schemes and how a running back has to think differently, use their footwork differently to run them. And the best backs can run both. Some backs are really good at one or the other. The NFL mostly uses zone schemes though. So if you're not good at zone but good at gap, you you're gonna have to learn if you unless you go to the Colts. And that's about it, you know, there's maybe a couple teams that run mostly gap, but you need to learn that. And so the footwork in terms of how efficient you can move, and sometimes that includes how well they open their hips, you know, and be able to, um, because opening your hips allows you to turn at a tighter and quicker angle than making a jump cut. So it's that short area quickness it's that um, and change of direction, quickness and short area acceleration. That first 10 to 15 yards is way more important than what they do from 20 to 40. Um, And then, you know, and then contact balance, I would say that's the other thing you look for. If they drop their pads on a linebacker and a linebacker is coming at them or standing still and, and dropping their pads, can he at least force a stalemate or get under the under or over the linebacker and at least extend forward and lean for extra yards? If he can't at least do that, and looks like he leaned um, leaned into a brick wall and fell backwards, or is immediately stopped, especially when he's running, you know, has a seven to twelve yard running start downhill, and he still falls backwards, hitting a flat-footed defender, whether it's a safety or linebacker, this guy does not have the requisite contact balance you're looking for. The only backs I've seen who've been able to succeed in the NFL. And have molt, you know, and I don't even know if I'd say they've succeeded because they've only had one really strong season before they got hurt, and that's Marlon Mack, because Darren McFadden had that problem, and he only had two really strong seasons. One was with Oakland, and then the other one was with Dallas behind an all-world offensive line where he could have stopped and asked for directions to the hole, <laughs> and, right. and there were literally runs where you could see that. So that's for those are important for running back, Um receiver. You want to see them take a hit while they catch the ball. Can mm-hmm. they do that? You want yeah. to see them also where that they don't have to leave their feet to catch balls that aren't well above their head and force them to jump. If if they're leaving their feet to catch targets at um, numbers level, they're unconfident about how they're tracking the ball. They can't. They're waiting till late to know whether they need to, and that all, often impacts how they use their hands. So hand position is important. Do they clap on the ball or do they have their hands in a position so that the ball comes to them and they can stop it with their fingertips? Because if they clap, it's like a little kid when you're teaching her or him how to catch the ball and they do this and the ball hits them in the forehead or it bounces off their hands and hits them in the face. And then, you know, it's the same thing. You'll see it with receivers. If they're clapping on the ball, that means they don't have their – arms aren't in sync enough to get their hands in the right position, either high or low, and using the right high or low position. So that's very important. That's an essential thing. I would say with route running, can they drop their weight, meaning that can they bend their knees and their hips so that they're sink? It looks like they're sitting in an imaginary chair at the top of their stem to, to execute hard breaks. And then when they're executing speed breaks, can they point the toe either to the boundary to flip their hips and get that flat break on the speed break, or can they even point the toe a little bit so that it's heading back downhill? Jerry Judy's really good at that. And it gets you working back to the quarterback. That kind of flexibility is important. If they don't have that, it limits the type of routes that they can run. um, And it gives you questions about whether they can develop those types of skills. And then with route running, I would just say, footwork and you know the good footwork off of the line that's important and with tight ends I'd say it's the same thing with all everything I just mentioned except that when you're looking for them as a blocker um, they most of them are going to have to block on some level Um, so you want guys who are good enough blockers that they can handle at least a safety or a weak side linebacker one-on-one on the back side of the formation they don't need to be blocking defensive ends now if they do it in the college level that and that defensive end is like an NFL caliber strong side linebacker um, that, or even a defensive end size guy and is a good one, then that's a bonus and that's all the better and you can use them on the front side maybe and that's good. But what you're looking for there is kind of a flat back off the line. Is he able to drop his weight a little bit and punch with an uppercut into the numbers and roll through his hips and if you want to learn more about that, I have an RSP film room on my YouTube channel that I did with Lance Zerline, where he his dad was an, has a 30-year-long offensive line coach. Lance has learned a ton from his dad. And he, we do one on Brandon Scherf like from years ago before he went to NFL.com and became a big star. And you know, it's a good it's a good tutorial on all the different techniques that even though we're talking about a uh, left tackle. They also apply to a tight end, both pass protection and run blocking. And you can find out more from there too.
2: Wow! Like I was just saying session. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like a, a lot of uh, like a lot of people that talk to me. Like, hey, I watched the YouTube clip on for three minutes on Kadarius Tony. I think that's my guy. And you literally just dropped you know fifteen minutes there, and you say that obviously the website has even more information and keep you know directing people that way, but. Being taken to school, I love how people talk about we had Angelo analysis and talk about the nuances of, of how they play the game. You know, we watch it and then there's another level on top of that. You know, we're, we're playing a game about a game and you're almost taking it to another level with a different type of style. And I, I love that. Um, the one thing I want to talk about is you started talking about those running backs. You talked about the schemes and how they win. Let's talk about the rookie running back landing spots. You know, who was the biggest winner out of that group? And who are you not absolutely wild about that situation? You know, I I there's there's one guy in the group in particular that I saw you have lower than than most in the industry. And then there's some that you have a little bit higher. So why don't you just give us a little information on that?
3: Trey Sermon obviously is a big winner because he's he's someone that went to the best running um offense probably in the league. And it's not just because of the quality of linemen, but also how they execute just a diversified running scheme they have gap plays they have zone plays they disguise zone plays as gap plays they disguise gap plays as zone plays in ways that like my buddy jay moyer who's one of the better fantasy folks out there about analyzing the running back position who used to work with me and i was at ff astronauts you know i remember one year he was writing about uh, the 49ers and about a play that um, Matt Breda got a ton of yards off of. And I don't remember whether it was a gap or a zone play because it's been a couple years now, maybe three years. Um, but he he mentioned it, and, you know, he got a response from another top writer, um, Ted Wynn, at The Athletic. And Ted just looked at it cursely and said, well, it's this. and And he's like, well, no, I've been – and then Jay's like, I've been coaching this for 20 years, and it's actually something else and I know that this is something else, and then we spoke with Jeff Schwartz, we spoke with Chris Brown of Smart Football, and a bunch of other people who are really well connected, and really what we discovered is it's most likely that the that Kyle Juszczyk, who told Ted, and Ted is an excellent football mind, if you don't follow Ted Wynn, then you're probably doing it wrong if you want to learn about football, um, but Ted Ted was like, well, you know, Kyle Juszczyk told me this, and and pretty much everyone agreed around him, and I think he eventually agreed too, is that that Kyle Juszczyk told him that because he didn't want to give up what the play actually was and that they (laughs) actually made it look like a mistake in a way because they didn't want the team to figure out that it was actually a a zone, a a zone play when it looked like a gap play. Um, So, you know, and it was a design cutback, you know, so it was like the fact that they do all this stuff, Trey Sermon fits that because he has experience running that way. He's a very, Um, refined runner in terms of decision-making and efficiency, and he's a tackle breaker in addition to being the guy who eludes tackles. So I'm really excited about his future, even if this year he's sharing time with Raheem Mostert and, you know, maybe a little bit of Wilson and a little bit of Hasty, whoever comes on. I expect Hasty to come on another year. He's exciting. Um, But, you know, you're going to see a little bit of that there. Then, you know, listen, Javante Williams, I mean, that's a great situation. They just need to... They need a stabilizing factor at quarterback, but I think Teddy Bridgewater can be that. Um, Look what Mike Davis did. I've always liked Mike Davis, and speaking of former 49ers, and he's a guy that Atlanta's fallen in love with. He had a great season last year when McCaffrey got hurt. Um, So I like those fits. I like Michael Carter's fit. I know that the offensive line needs work, but Mekhi Becton and the the guard that they got will solidify at least one side of that line, Um, and I think that he's a guy who can – Access tight crease as well, and he's such a good receiver. He's very good route runner in the middle of the field with zones, and he's going to work open for Zach Wilson. I think that even when Zach Wilson has to escape, Michael Carter would get a lot of play. It might not be this year, but I think it will. Um, but you, I I always draft rookies with the expectation that they're not going to do jack year one, other than maybe down the stretch, and then do better, you know, further on. Ramondre Stevenson, uh, listen, I've been a fan of him. I know he's not fast. I know that maybe he's not the quickest back, but he's efficient. And Legarrett Blunt was efficient. And LeGarrett Blunt was also fast and quick, and or also quick and big. And and Stevenson's 230. He lost 20 of those. He lost 20 pounds from 250. Got to remember though, he went to a JUCO program. They don't have the highest quality training. And then he went to OU during a COVID altered season. So how much training did he really get? Did he just lose weight? Did he really remake his body and get quick twitch muscle along with that? We're going to see in a year from now, what an NFL training room might do for him because though he's quick and nifty, he knows he's 230 plus pounds and he uses it well. And he's a great receiver with soft hands. Um, He, you know, rot running will I think is decent. will get better. And he's the best pass protector of this class. So, with James T- White leaving, with Damian Harris needing a year to acclimate to the system. And then when he got out, he was good, but he wasn't the dynamic back. I remember at Alabama, he played very cautious. And Sony Michelle basically, you know, walking wounded. We're always going to be worried about him staying healthy from this point on. You know, R- Stevenson has a real opportunity here, especially if Mac Jones yes. acclimates fast. Guys, I'm not so high on. Um, Travis Etienne, I just, listen, I think he could still be a running back one. I still think that can happen in this offense because, listen, he's a draft capital. He, he he was drafted in the first round, even though Urban Meyer said, we're going to use him as a scat back. He's a change of pace guy. I can see that because I think James Robinson proved enough that he's the better interior runner right now. But Travis Etienne improved over the course of his career. He got better as an interior runner. But these athletic guys who are like high end athletes who can win by out athleting people at the college level, by bouncing plays outside or looking for the cutback too soon and still outrunning the field, you know, guys like he, him and Chuba Hubbard and, um, you know, Miles Sanders, CJ Spiller, LaShawn McCoy, Jamal Charles, these are all guys that they will try to, Reggie Bush, early in their career when they face stress of maybe not something working out they try too hard to make the big play and they have to learn to mature and say, you know what, that two to three yard gain I'm going to grind out is going to be more important to my offense than it is me losing seven, trying to make 70. And even if I break the 70 on occasion, because what happens is that defense now learn that you're going to cut back everything or bounce everything. And they're going to cheat and they're going to cheat with their alignments and how they play gaps And as a result of that, they're not going to believe that you're going to take it inside when they give you a hint of something that forces you to overreact. So Etienne's going to have to show that he can get a little bit better with that. And that's if he even gets enough touches this year or next, if Robinson continues to play at the level he is. And I worry that Urban Meyer, I'm not saying he will be, but I have concerns that he's a little out of his depth Mm -hmm. with some of the things he's told the media. And he, it sounds like it could be a Steve Spurrier part two kind of situation there. Um mm-hmm. And, and he basically, they basically drafted like top 100 recruits from high school. That was basically their yeah. board, not, it was all, you know, so you wonder how much nuance was done there. Um. So that's a guy we're about Kenneth Gainwell. I know there are a lot of people who really loved him. He's a good back, like conceptually, he's a good back, but it, You know, he hasn't gained that man weight yet. Like again, he's only played one year and he missed a year, but it's kind of worrisome that he's not like 205, 210, 215, and he's more like 194. And you're like, can he add the weight? Will he have a late growth spurt so that he can? And if he does, will that will quick twitch muscle come with it so that he can have a little bit more acceleration, short area quickness, which he seems to lack a little bit of. He's a great pass catcher, but Listen, Boston Scott's not a slouch as a as a back, you know, as a as a change of pace player. Miles Sanders has gotten better and they brought Jordan Howard back, who maybe did nothing in Miami, but let's remember that he did look pretty good 2 years ago with um the Eagles in terms of getting the tough yards. He knows how to get the tough yards. He's a smart back. He's just a sluggish in terms of for being a starter. But for being a reserve, I mean he's He's basically a younger Frank Gore right now in terms of what he can do. It's just that the, the Dolphins are looking for athletes in a sense or guys who are a little bit can be a little bit quicker with their movements. So I just don't know if there's going to be a place for him right away. Mm-hmm. So th- those are – Chuba Hubbard's another. They run a diverse scheme in Carolina, and he'll do well on the gap plays. How well is he going to do on the zone plays? That's you know he still got some work to do with that. He fumbles the ball. He's also a guy that I've seen too many times get a seven to ten yard head start, drop his pads, um, and not all that properly into a linebacker or even a flat footed safety and fall backwards. So I'm not exactly a huge fan of what he is now. What he can be is maybe a little different. Other fits I like, and I'll just mention two more: Javian Hawkins um, as a UDFA. I mm-hmm. like, I like Kadri Allison Who's a, who's a underrated back for Atlanta and he's going to get his shot. But for a scat back, Javian Hawkins is a guy they really love. And I thought I had him ranked in my top 14 to 16. And as a guy that should have been drafted, mm-hmm. I think he's a guy that can, can contribute and Khalil Herbert. If, um, if the bears listen, man, they're going to, yeah. Tariq Cohen, they haven't figured out how to use, um, you know, certainly Montgomery's gotten better, but he's a little inefficient as a player, but it works well for him. Um, and then, you know, Nall, Ryan Nall they're getting rid of probably, even though I think they underused him too. And Artavis Pierce is basically a reserve. Khalil Herbert could be a starter in this league, and I think that if he's going to get a chance to contribute within a couple of years. So there's, there's a lot of guys. There's a couple more I could even get into, but we'll leave it at that.
2: Well, we, one thing that we really respect about your work is it's it's a process that you do, and it's not, you know, I've noticed a lot of analysts kind of go towards the median and what they think, and Trey Sermon and Michael Carter are guys that you've had up a little bit higher. Now, I know Mung has a question related to this, and it kind of goes into the second part of my question is, you know, in that 201 to 205 range, there's a guys there where it gets a little bit difficult, and it's Sermon, it's Carter- It's Bateman, and it's the guy that I've gotten in all three drafts that I absolutely love, and Rondale Moore. So if you're on the clock, I know, Mung, you're on the clock at 2.02. Why don't you give him your question a little bit? You know, I just wanted to kind of transition there for
0: it. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think, Matt, you've been on enough podcasts now where pretty much everybody knows about your Trey Sermon love, and I certainly like Sermon uh, quite a bit. As you said, San Francisco is kind of that dream landing spot. Um, but considering that you know they do like to use a committee there, and you know they're paying Mostert and Jeff Wilson, they've done well in stretches over the last couple of years. Do you think that that early second-round range or late first and one quarterback uh, is too high for Sermon, or is that about right considering the upside that we could see with the 49ers?
3: I think it's about right, and I think the reason being is that. They used a committee because guys got hurt. Matt Breda looked really good. He kept getting hurt. Um, they had McKinnon. He got hurt. Tevin Coleman, he keeps getting hurt. You know, and Coleman was kind of a kind of a compliment anyway. And then Raheem Mostert looked good. And when he, you know, you could see that they were getting a lot of touches until they get hurt. And so they've just had bad luck. And then Wilson, you know, listen, Mostert's like, what, 28, 29, going to be 30 probably next year. And this is his last year. So we know he's going to be out of the picture. We know that Jeff Wilson, like Jeff Wilson's a nice surprise out of North Texas. I mean, he could catch the ball, but he's basically the guy that gets what's gained for him. And, you know, if the hole's open, he's going to find it and he's going to get through it. And then the rest is basically whether the receivers block well enough for him to keep going. Um, and then he'll get some yards with momentum. But he's not a an unbelievably creative back. And so between he and Sermon, and really Hasty, Sermon and Hasty are the two creators in the, on this team, other than Mostert. So when Mostert's gone, those two backs have the opportunity that they're going to be able to make yards when the offensive line on those occasions get overmatched, and even the best offensive lines do. So, and the fact they traded up to get him also tells you that they're. um And it's not a fourth-round pick. You know, I know you're going to hear a lot of the the media, especially the 49ers media, I've heard them say, you know, well, they traded up for Joe Williams, and Joe Williams, you know, didn't do anything. He didn't even see the field. That's true. Um, At the same time, you know, Joe Williams may have been a mistake as a pick. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that we had an issue in terms of you know, that all, you know, and fourth round players tend to be the most divisive players. They're either guys who should have had first round grades and dropped due to off field stuff or other issues, or they're guys that people have a lot of love for. And, and scouts tend to say, I don't really like him all that much, but I don't want to have him rated as a sixth or seventh round guy. So we're going to put him in the fourth round. Um, It's like that evaluation grade of in your corporate sphere where you give somebody a three, even though you know they probably deserve less than that, but you know (laughs) it's going to be a headache and you don't have a great management system above you. And if you're, and it's just more trouble than it's worth to give the person less than a three um, in that situation. Yeah. So you understand. I mean, it's the, and unfortunately scouting's processes are flawed in that way. Mm -hmm. Not the scouts themselves, but sometimes the the process can can hurt them. So, yeah, I think sermons absolutely worth it um, in that area. But at the same time, you know, listen, and I think there's risks with guys like Bateman. Like, I really love Rashad Bateman coming out, but um, you wonder, okay, how much different is he going to be in the Raven system? I think there's yeah. a, I think he can work across the middle better than everybody else, mm-hmm. and he kind of consolidates a lot of the skills that the other receivers have. Each lack, so I can see how he could be the guy in this style of offense, and it work out like gangbusters. So I don't have him that far below Sermon, Um, but it you know it just depends on do you need a back. If you do, Sermon's at least going to be part of a one-two punch as long as he's healthy. Maybe not this year, but definitely next year. And at that point, I don't think they're going to have. They may find more backs but I don't think they're going to use them the way they did. I think a lot of it was dictated by injury.
0: Thank you, Matt. You know, from your lips to my draft board, I think I'm going to make the first ever live rookie pick uh, on there a podcast right. for us. So I'll, I'll go ahead and hit that.
3: Well, good luck, man. Good luck.
0: Man, <laughs>
1: Matt. Hey, Matt, I was I was going to bring it back to San Francisco for just a minute. I, it Rumor is that you're actually going to be buying season tickets for San Francisco with Trey Lance and Trey Sermon going there. Um, And and actually, you've been very vocal all along when there was all of the rumors coming out about the number three pick and which way they were going to go. You were always recommending that it was Trey Lance. And now now that it's happened, talk to us a little bit about that. Great call on that. But um, just talk to us about that fit and where do you think you'd end up taking him in some of these super flex drafts?
3: top four, top three, you know, probably super flex. Mm -hmm. I mean, really top two. I mean, Mm -hmm. if I need a quarterback, I'm going, he, he, he would be my one or two, depending on how I felt that day and how many super flex draft teams I had. Um, mainly because, a lot of people mistake the 49ers as a run-based offense because they look at how Garoppolo did, and he wasn't a great fantasy performer. Then you look at the Shanahan influence schemes, and you see the Vikings, and the minute Kirk, Kirk Cousins got into that, he dropped from being the top 12 guy to being outside of that, I think. Um, and then you have Baker Mayfield, who they, you know, who basically also wasn't a top 15, top 12 quarterback either. And so people may associate that with running, we have to remember that you know there was this, there's this quarterback about oh I don't know about less than an hour from where I live in Atlanta who ran a Mike Shanahan a Kyle Shanahan offense and was one of the top 3 to 5 quarterbacks in the league that year and the running game was one of the best in the league when they went to the Super Bowl and so it's really about the quarterback you have and mm-hmm. when you look at Trey Lance he can do everything you're looking for it's just that he's young um, this is, a, you know, he's got great footwork. He understands the drop back game um, with your back to the defense and the play fakes. He executes that better than anybody in this class because that's what he did at North Dakota State. What he also did at North Dakota State was make, was have to make the tight end and the running back his first two reads before he could go deep, which is unusual. And it, while it's a pro style scheme with its checks and the responsibilities the quarterback had, which is another bonus, it's also kind of a, backhanded you know it's kind of like a backhanded bonus or like a I don't know if that's the right way of phrasing it but it's it's kind of a a hidden bonus for him that people think is a bad thing that he reads read short to deep but it's a harder thing to do to be aggressive and the fact that you can see him even though he doesn't have tons of great yardage games you see him with accurate deep throws down the field because he's made those reads and he's been able to do it on his second, third, fourth read oftentimes as opposed to his first Mm -hmm. like most do. Right, That tells you what his processing can be like. And he's also – he's basically a bull with speed when it comes to running. He's – Reminds me of Steve McNair. That's the guy that I Mm -hmm. mentioned. It's like, to me, he's kind of a combination of Steve McNair and Matthew Stafford in terms of the best of both of those players. Um, And the the worst is that, yeah, he tries to fit the ball in a little bit at times that he shouldn't, but it's not because he doesn't see the coverage as much as it is that he thinks he can squeeze it in on certain situations. Um, And he only does that on occasion. Um, He will throw some of those downward arcing balls on short passes because of his release motion. But did that really bother you from drafting donovan McNabb back in like the early 2000s when he did that with philadelphia and that he was taking yeah. them deep into the playoffs and like had you know even and he was having to do it with to and all that the the craziness going on with all that so i'm yeah sermon i mean excuse me lance to me he i think he's one of the best quarterbacks in his class so i feel great about his landing spot
2: well Matt, how about the guy that was rumored to San Francisco? You know we end up getting Mac Jones falls right into the lap of of New England. I know another situation that you were kind of anticipating there. What kind of floor and ceiling can we look for from from McCorkle himself there?
3: Yeah, well, good old McCorkle is probably a guy that you know there's there's merit to say that pocket quarterbacks have a harder time early on in the in the league now and that it's easier. Mm-hmm to be a mobile quarterback doesn't mean pocket mm. quarterbacks are dead. It just means that, that really you can, as an offensive coordinator, you can have an easier time scheming with a guy who can play off structure and win with his feet and move them around a little bit more. But at the end of the day, for them to be top quarterbacks, they still have to process from the pocket very fast and get rid of the ball and to stay on schedule. Cause you can't win on those three to five plays alone every week. You just can't do it. So, you know you can put your team in position but you better have a great team around you. Mac Jones is like most pocket quarterbacks that they're going to they got to learn to get rid of the ball quickly at an NFL level. He's shown that at Alabama, now he's going to have to do it against NFL schemes. I think he can. Um so I think his his ceiling if he gets a great nucleus around him, his ceiling is Peyton Manning. I think his ceiling can be that good. Yeah, I flash. really do. I really yeah. do. It's um I like him a lot. I think he throws people open. I think he's aggressive. I think he's tough and, and he moves better than you think. Young Peyton moved around okay. It wasn't, you know, we're not looking at the guys at the top of the boards nowadays because he's not <laughs> we won't mistake him for that, but he can run some misdirection. Yeah. He there's yeah. some skills there, so he's that's the ceiling. The floor is that he just never gets off to a good start. He doesn't get rid of the ball fast enough. Defenses confuse him, which I don't think they will, but they might slow him down. He gets whacked one too many times too soon, and then he turns into Trent Edwards, who basically was a guy who had promised, got concussed by Adrian Wilson, and then was basically rushing throws ever since and never became the the guy that he was promising enough to be. So with
2: the promise of both of these quarterbacks and, and the, the bright future, how early do you see these guys starting? And can either of them, you know, start
3: day one? I think both can start day one. Mac Jones could start day one. I think he's I think he's got the that factor. I think Trey Lance can too. You got to remember, he played one year, didn't throw a single interception, and he was making reads. Like a lot of the things people complain about, or excuse me, he was making adjustments to the offense. A lot of people complain about him running on plays that he was like. Checking and running, and what they don't realize that my colleague Mark Schofield mentioned is that they um a lot of those called runs were him changing the play um, because he saw a big opening pre snap that most quarterbacks might have tried to throw the ball, but he knew it was better for the team for him to run. So you know when you have a quarterback who can do that, and because he has that a big play ability, even if he's not where he's going to be as a passer he's still going to give you enough yardage with his legs that he can give you kind of a Josh Allen type of season for you, you know, especially when it's not just a shotgun offense that they say, all right, if you can't find that second or third read, Josh, just go ahead and run and we'll figure this out by year two, year three for you because that's what he did. You know, instead they're going to say, look, Trey, you've got natural. You already know you played in this offense. You're basically going to fake the ball. You're going to roll out. If it's there, you throw it. If it's not, you create and he's going to be able to do that. So I think both those guys could start year one, um, I but they're in situations where thankfully they won't have to. And so that means yes. they'll probably be pressured to do so, which means mm-hmm. probably mid-season. You can expect them yeah. mid-season. And that's even nice too because by mid-season they'll, they'll have four to five games where the defenses play them straight up, and then they'll be in, in by the – by the end of the season is when they may like start to make adjustments. And then, you know, they'll have, a, they'll have enough exposure to that, that they'll have some film over the next year to see what they have to improve upon.
0: Thank you. Love So that answer. Matt, uh, before we move on real quick, I know we've talked about these quarterbacks enough, but uh, would you say you're more glass half full on Mac Jones? Because it seems to me that new England is almost set up perfectly to develop him. I mean, they have a great offensive line, um we know that Belichick's gonna rely on that run game to kind of you know ease the pressure early on, kind of like how they did with Brady, you know, when they originally it wasn't a Brady-centric offense, they kind of built around him until he was ready to be the focal point.
3: Yes, I'm I'm actually glass full and overflowing with Mac Jones. I believe in him. And I think that if if it were they have the template that I mean, they've worked with a guy who you know, for 15 years or 20 years. Right. Actually, yeah, you know, exactly. so, so they should know what they need to do with Mac Jones. And so as a result of that, if, if I can, if I can't get Lawrence or if I can't get uh Trey Lance, then yes, I'm calling the sirens. And I'm <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say End of the first round, we go ahead and get Mac Jones and that's that, well, an emergency you know, for the that rest of the week. And be happy with that.
1: Yeah. No, that's great stuff, Matt. I, I also wanted to ask you about the guy that went after Trey Lance in the draft, Kyle Pitts. I'd love to get your take on this because the hype on this guy is crazy. I can only imagine they're in Atlanta where you are. And he's consistently going in these rookie drafts from what I've seen, top three, top five. Where could you see yourself drafting him? Um, you had tight end premium leagues. So we're getting a lot of questions on that. How do you, And also I wanted to ask you, how do you see Pitts performing in year one?
3: I have him top two. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and in a a premium league, why wouldn't you? I mean, I can see why you take him number one. I'm not, you know. Yeah. The thing is that you have to understand is that people talk about him not being a very good blocker, but I wonder how many people actually watched him um, Mm -hmm. because he's not a bad blocker. He's just not a great blocker. Um, And that's Okay. Because Atlanta, if they're smart, they're going to use him all over the field. He's right. just going to be a pass catcher. I think most teams planned on using him as a pass catcher. And they already have Hayden Hurst. They already have. Oh, yeah. And they brought in this other guy, which tells you that they were kind of telegraphing their pick. They brought in Lee Smith, you know, <laughs> who is basically a second offense, you know, a sixth offensive lineman. That's yeah. what he does. He's a mm-hmm. blocker. They brought in Lee Smith in free agency. If that That's doesn't funny. tell you that they were looking at. Yeah. Kyle Pitts. I don't know what does because they know that Hayden Hurst isn't a great blocker either. So if Hayden Hurst is going to be, and they signed him to a deal and it wasn't like he was bad. So if you have Hayden Hurst in line, well, where is Kyle Pitts going to be? He's going to be on the outside in the slot. And Go if down. you put him outside along with Julio, guess who gets the play in the slot? Cal, you know Calvin Ridley, which is maybe his best position, mm-hmm. the best possible position to put him in. Um, so to me, all around, Matt Ryan now has lots of weapons with a, a burgeoning offensive line that's not great, but young and getting better. I, you know, I'm, I, I don't, you know, the only reason I might not take him is that I love Jamar Chase too. And I think Jamar Chase is a, even though Kyle Pitts has played longer, Jamar Chase is, I think, a more proven player mm-hmm. in terms of what he does on film. But Pitts is going to cause nightmares. I think it's a great pick.
2: I've gotten Kyle Pitts in two of my three drafts at the 107 Ooh, nice. absolute smash. Oh, you get Excited smash. there, John. I think he's somebody that's definitely you know we're going to have high expectations year one. And I know something that's mm-hmm. been current right now is is the crazy you know scoring system of Scott Fishbowl 11. And Kyle oh, yeah. Pitts might be one of those guys that goes way too early.
1: Yeah. It, in in fact, Matt, I, I know you you're probably familiar with this, but. Both Mike and I just got invited to Scott Fishbowl Eleven here this week.
3: congrats! Well,
1: yeah, and and we I love what they do for the community, and they're you know they're they're always giving back. Fantasy cares. Shout out to Ryan McDowell and Scott Fish for that. I wanted to give you a second too because I know that part of what you do with the RSP is you you give back uh, as well. Believe darkness to light, and so I wanted to just have you just take a moment and talk about that for a sec.
3: Yeah, I appreciate that, and you know, Scott obviously does great work with what he's been doing since um 2012. I think it's either 2011 or 2012. I've been giving back to this organization um, where I pledged a certain number of sales, a certain percentage of sales, um, up to five thousand dollars to um, to give the darkness to light. And they're an organization that is um, designed to prevent sexual abuse of children. Um, Through training programs to individuals and groups. It can range from educational institutions. They've worked with Penn State after their scandal Um, It can also extend to civic organizations, little leagues, schools, you know Anyone who wants to get training Um, So they can do group and individual work and then they also train people on what to do when it unfortunately happens because you know it's a very difficult topic for people to talk about because it's you know not mm-hmm. only is it just a taboo thing and um, and it's a very da- you know dangerous awful thing it's also something that happens to one in four children and it's not the yeah. and the thing that people don't understand is it's not the it's not usually the boogeyman in the white van with the with comics taped over the windows asking the little kid at the playground, if they want some candy and can come into their car, it's usually someone they know often a relative. Um, so as a result of that, you know, the, when kids report it, you know, the, the statistics show that very rarely does it, when a child reports, this, is this a false claim? Very rarely, like, like, like scant. Um, so, What happens though is that some of the biggest damage that's done psychologically on children is when they reported and they're not believed, and then you know that's where the lasting damage can often take place. So this organization does a great job of training. They've been around for a long time. I've, you know, when I first looked them up, they I investigated my charity Navigator, which is an organization that tracks how much of the money goes towards. Um, actually, doing what they say they're going to do, and not just padding the salaries of people and 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 how they manage everything business wise. And when I first started, their grade was good, not great, but over the years under their new leadership, um, in the past seven or eight years, I believe they are now scored 100 out of 100 on Charity Navigator. So they are, you know, well, they they're good and getting better, or they're great and continuing to get better. And, you know, I, I just stand behind them. They do great work. And we've already given $4,000 this year. April oh. um, was Child Abuse Prevention Month. Um, yeah. So we, you know, we gave early this year. Um, we'll probably give another thousand before it's all over with.
1: Yeah, I love it. I a lot of respect for that, Matt. And um appreciate that. I wanted to make sure everyone heard that. Maybe if we just kind of stay on Scott Fishbowl 11 for a second, it's going to be, of course, all about the 2021 season, right? And so... In your view, and when you look at this rookie class, who do you think is the most pro-ready that's going to make biggest impact year one based on the talent
3: and the landing spot situation? Jamar Chase. I just think that, I mean, just to me, Mm -hmm. um, Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts really are the two because Kyle Pitts doesn't need to be unbelievably pro-ready. He's got Julio Jones on one side and Calvin Ridley on the other. And they're going to create matchups for him all yeah. day long. And Matt Ryan is going to get him up to speed. He's a receiver, even if he plays in a tight end body. So there's that. And Jamar Chase, I mean, listen, the guy can do it. Do it all. I mean, he's a terrific route runner. He's he can play the post up game. He can get deep on you. He can run after the catch. He can release off the line of scrimmage. He's going to have some adjustments here and there. But again, he's still he's got he's got Tyler Boyd in the middle. He also has, you know, our man Higgins on the outside and Joe Burrow's kind of familiar yeah. with him. I think he, I think they met once or twice in the, <laughs> in the end zone a couple of times back a couple of years ago. So I think they're pretty good on that level. Um, Najee Harris is going to get volume. So I think he's a safe pick, not necessarily like sky high. Um, and then I would probably add, Trevor Lawrence, not because I think he's going to be like an elite quarterback right off the bat and I have concerns about Urban Meyer, but that defense hasn't gotten that much better. The offensive line's okay, um but I was predicting I've been ta- I took Gardner Minshew for the past couple of years just on the on the basis of garbage time alone. So if you're yeah. looking for a garbage time quarterback, you've got a guy who's got a bigger arm. Who can create on the move and often uses his legs really well to throw. And if you yeah. need him to run, he can do that too. I, I don't see how he can't. I think he's mm-hmm. gonna wind up being a top 12 player in the bottom half of the top 12. Um, yeah. you know, as a result of these conditions. I can see it.
2: Love those answers. I know your process, you know, you've been doing it for years. Who are some guys in 2019 and 2020 drafts that just haven't quite gotten there that, that we should be expecting this season?
3: Gosh, that's a good question. And I had answers and I'm trying to remember them. But um, you know the the, you know, off the bat, I'm gonna give you a guy that you should just keep an eye on like deep for the waiver wire that do I remember? There's this guy out of Arkansas who was a tight end by the name of Caleb Wilson who's really athletic, um, really super talented and he I don't think he got drafted and he didn't and he bounced around, but he's with the Eagles. And the Eagles are, you know, Zach Ertz might get traded. Dallas Goddard's in his his last year of his last deal. Hakeem Butler still should be a wide receiver in my opinion, but hasn't shown much on a field other than the Panthers saying he flashed in practice before the Eagles scooped him up and made him a tight end. So, you know, I'm just laughing because I know that Butler hasn't done anything, but I'm still sitting here thinking, the Eagles need wide receiver talent. And I actually think they, from what I've talked to some people who are connected to that organization, they regard, they don't even know what they have in him. They just kind of picked him up and thought maybe tight end. And that was that was it. Um, but I think this Caleb Wilson guy could be good. Um, I think Daryl Henderson, you know, is kind of stuck behind um, you know, Cam Akers, but I think he showed enough last year that he should be someone that gets a little bit more opportunity down the line somewhere. Um, I would love to see Miles Boykin in an, on a new team. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah. from the standpoint of he runs really good timing routes and in the intermediate game, but that's not Lamar Jackson's strength, that's just not the strength of his game. So I wonder about that. Um, you know, Zach Moss didn't have a good start. Um, it's interesting that the Bills didn't draft a back. Right. You know, many right. Were connected with him. But I think Zach Moss has more to show than what he did. Obviously, Jermichael Hasty showed a good bit that I liked what I saw from him. Um, those are guys that kind of just like easily come to mind. Some great ones.
2: I love it. John, Mung. you know, I mean, Matt, we're so thankful for you to come on and I know we can pick your brain for hours. We try to keep it to that one hour because we're respectful of the amount of time that you have and, and how busy you are. But before we close, John or Mung, do you guys have any more questions
1: here for Matt? Maybe just one, you know, Matt, I, I, I really want to thank you. I mean, I'm taking, like pages I of notes it. over here, listening to this. And I've already been getting a ton of great feedback from the listeners live here. But my, my question is, is you're right in the middle of the post-trapped RSP and And so it means a lot that you spent some time with us. Maybe just give a little preview. Like who do you think maybe someone we haven't talked about yet. Some of the biggest movers or or fallers based on landing spot. If you had to throw out a couple names.
3: Sure. I'm looking at this cheat sheet that I have here. um, Tillon Wallace has, has fallen a little bit for me. I still like him, but I just wonder if, He's just going to get caught up in some things that he, you know, in terms of the way this team dynamic is. So I'm a little worried about him. Um, I would say that there's some guys here that um, Josh Johnson, I would say some of these guys are about retaining their value. Josh Johnson got added as a UDFA by the Seattle Seahawks. I think he's a pretty good runner. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we learn a little bit more about, him within the next couple of years um zach davison i didn't get to watch um when his tape pre-draft and i did post-draft um he's a high riser on my board um another guy that i'm just going to say late and i'm about to do a show with the the director of recruiting for rice we're about to i'm about to go on the next five or ten minutes is with a is with one of Rice's players. He's by, by the name of Austin Trammell. He's a slot receiver. And and I talked about him last night with my buddy Alex Brown, who's this recruiting guy, you know, the recruiting guy there. Alex Trammell is 181 pounds and he lifted the bar more than um, than Dillard Rendonce, one of the top tackle okay. prospects in this draft. Um, he also has... Excellent speed and quickness. He played with over twenty different. I don't know was it? I want to say twenty, but I know it was like double digits. He played with double digit number of quarterbacks in his in his league in his, his team. So you know that tells you something. But he's a guy that can play, and he's with Atlanta, and they could use a slot receiver possibly down the line. Um, and he's been. I was told he's compared to Danny Amendola in terms of some ability. Like, there, he could be the next Danny Amendola, but with more physical skills um, and hopefully a better injury track record.
2: I love some of those deep dives. You know, hitting us, you're, you're diving into that tape. You know, so much more, and, and we appreciate that. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Why don't you tell everybody again where they can find your work? And, you know, what, what's coming out here in the next couple of days?
3: Hey, I appreciate it. Um, I, I, I'd be glad to come on again. This was a fun show. Um, you guys do great work. And uh, you can find me at mattwaldman.com or to buy the, the publications right away. Or if you want to learn a little bit more about my work before you do that, go to mattwaldmanrsp.com. And you'll find the post draft. The post draft basically comes with a cheat sheet that where I tier the players, I color code tier the players and define what those tiers are. Um, they're all grouped together on th- basically three pages you can print out and it shows you my value of them where I rank them. It shows you a little symbol of like, whether I think they're a high upside player, whether they're a limited talent based on scheme fit, underrated, overrated, or boom busting talent. So you get a lot of info, just bond symbols there to look at. In addition to that, I give you a value and this value is my ranking of them post draft Versus ADP, where I show you all the ADP um, study I've done. And I show you a chart so you can continue filling it in if I haven't even finished the drafts and you can see what their average ADP is on 15 drafts. And I look at different drafts. So I look at like PPR, I look at Superflex, I look at IDP. So it's kind of a mesh of all of them, but you can, I give you links to those drafts so that you can see them yourself to determine which ones you kind of want to X out. You have to do the work on the spreadsheet yourself, but you could do that if you wanted to. I've already done all the legwork for you and you can see the difference between my ranking and where other people are valuing them. And I give you this value that says par, meaning that we're close enough together within plus or minus five picks that this is where the guy's leaving boards under a certain number. If I say he's under 12, that means that I have him rated 12 spots higher than where his ADP is, meaning that you can wait probably up to 12 spots to get him, or, or and the closer you get, the more risk you get of losing him. And if he's over a number, say like over 76, like Kellen Mond is for me, is that... And that means that I don't understand why anybody's drafting him right now. Um, and you can get him as a free agent. And I think that you'd be better off waiting for someone to draft him, decide they they don't want him anymore. And then you can pick him up and see if you can get him on, on the cheap. And then I even, so I show you all of that on three pages with over 150 prospects. And in addition to that, I give you best fits, overrated, underrated, um, you know, some articles that I've done that are evergreen about why I look at the things the way I do from the perspective that I do it, some trade advice, um, and then a depth chart analysis that goes through every player thoughts on them, expanded thoughts on each player where they fit and, and my thoughts on the depth chart, along with tracking which players are in their contract year that he's competing with, which ones are two years away Um, so that you can kind of see the landscape from a dynasty's perspective of, okay, I'm Trey Sermon. How many of these backs are going to be here in 2022? I'm Kenny in, Wangu. In um, when is, you know, oh, Dalvin Cook hasn't out in 2023. Amir Abdullah's leaving next year. Alexander Madison's leaving the year after that. Hmm, that gives me some idea to think that even if Wangu is kind of raw, he's a great athlete, maybe what they're hoping is that he gets good enough to, to bump Amir Abdullah for the third spot next year. And the year after that, maybe Alexander Madison. And if he's really good, you know, that year, maybe we have an out with Dalvin Cook, where we don't have to spend as much money to have a starting running back. So it gives you those types of things to look at, and that comes with the pre-draft, which we've talked about, and a newsletter that comes out June through December, um, every you know, every month, and that's all available for twenty one ninety five. And obviously, I give back to um, Darkness to Light. And then I have a separate product, which I'm coming out with now, that will be out in June, updated multiple times during the year. I think six times during the year will be complete dynasty um, projections, um, two-year projections, um, and for every player that I think has a shot, um, and and then rankings as well. Um, and I'll be updating those um, from mattwaldmanrsp.com
2: love it. Thank you so much, John. I know this has been like the last 10 days have been the pinnacle of your, you know, analyst career. You get to roast me, you get invited to the Scott fish and then you have your most respected analysts come on the absolutely. show. Absolutely, You got to be riding, riding the wave here. Oh, I
1: absolutely am uh, riding a high right now. Yeah. Thanks again, Matt. It's It's been just great hearing from you.
3: Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate you having me on and good luck in your leagues this week, this year, as well as the Scott fish bowl.
2: love it. Thanks again and right. enjoy the process. Take care, guys. Thanks, man.